Galatians 4, verses 12 to 31. So we're going to finish up chapter 4, okay? This message is entitled, Brokenness, Creativity, and Trust. Um, you ever experience in life, maybe like an immense frustration? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Huh, yeah. Tell me about it. Uh, like some moment in life where your expectation for how things are supposed to go is up here and what really happens is down here and you're looking at this gap and you're so frustrated. You're like angry. You're maybe even depressed. You're looking at it like, why? Every time, right? Or you ever feel like life is just kind of out of control? Like life is just kind of some big swirl and everything and everybody is swirling around you and you don't know how to get out of this swirl. It's like a giant tornado. It's like just tearing up the landscape of your life and you're like caught in the middle of it and you don't know which way is up, which way is down. You don't know which way is out. You're just spinning in the tornado. You ever experienced that? Have you ever wondered how to get out of that? Ha. Good thing you're here. How, how should we respond to the tornado? Got it? Well, let's bring up Abraham for a second. Remember Abraham from Genesis, right? The book of Genesis kind of hinges around this promise that's to Abraham, right? Sin enters the world, and then God calls Abraham out in Genesis chapter 12. He calls up Abraham, and he says, the world is corrupt, I've already cleansed the world with a flood, but corruption is still here. Now, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to undo the cursing with a blessing, right? Kind of what I like to call a cursal reversal. <laughs> I'm going to, you, Abraham, you imperfect little Abraham, who likes to lie and lacks faith and all that kind of stuff, takes matters into his own hands. You, Abraham, through you, I am going to undo what Adam did. I'm going to undo everything. I'm going to bring order back to the universe because the world was cursed through Abraham and I'm going to bless the world through you. Got it? That's Genesis 12. Genesis 15, he repeats the promise, and it's kind of a big deal, you know? And he, he like, reiterates it. He's like, I'm going to make you into a great nation. I'm going to give you a promised land. Through you, I'm going to bless you, and through you, I'm going to bless the whole world. So I'm not giving you a blessing for you to hang on to it and be like, yeah, look at me. I'm giving a blessing to you for it to pass on to the whole entire world. Whoever blesses you, I will bless them. And whoever curses you, I will curse them. Make sense? And then he does in Genesis 15 what's called cut a deal. Right? He takes a bunch of animals and he cuts them in half. And he sets them on either side. And then he walks through the middle. And it's like this signifying that they're making a covenant. Right? So this isn't just like God speaks and it's kind of like not that big a deal. This is like, this stands out, right? I just cut a couple bulls in half and I walked through the middle. This is a big deal. God spoke to Abraham, made a covenant, and they cut a deal. Very next chapter. All right, good job, Abraham. Very next chapter, chapter 16. 
Abraham on the heels of having just made a covenant with God, takes matters into his own hands. He's like, all right, I know God said that like, he's going to bless me and through me, he's going to bless all the world and all this stuff. But you know what? I'm getting old. And if I'm going to have a son and become a great nation, like I'm not getting any younger. And my wife's not getting any younger. In fact, she can't even have children. (laughs) And his wife, Sarah, comes up to him and is like, Abraham, I can't even have children. How is this going to happen? So here's what you're going to do. See, we have this Egyptian slave woman named Hagar. And anytime you see Egypt in the Bible, it's a bad thing, right? Egypt represents badness. So Egyptian slave girl... You're going to take matters into your own hands. You're going to have a son with Hagar so that the promise that God made can come to pass. And you're going to make God's promise come to pass in your flesh by taking matters into your own hands. Right? Not a good idea ever. So Genesis 17, like you could have just waited one more chapter, Abraham. We don't know how much time passed in between them, but still. One chapter goes by, and then God delivers on his promise. Sarah, who's barren, becomes unbarren. Abraham's like 99, and then he has a son named Isaac. And Isaac is the one that God's promised, not Ishmael. Ishmael with Hagar is a slave child. Um, Isaac with Sarah is a free child, a child of the promise. Um, so what's all this to say? Well, Paul talks about it right here in Galatians. So let's read the verses and then we'll, we'll kind of dig into it, okay? Uh, Genesis chapter 4, starting in verse 12. Brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, for I also became as you are. You did me no wrong. You know, it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, um, but received me as an angel of God, as if I were Christ Jesus. What then has become of the blessing you felt? For I testify to you that, if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Right? Because Paul has a problem with his eyes. That's the physical ailment that he's talking about. And uh, he's having a problem seeing. There's stuff going on. So that's why he settles down in Galatia for a time. And he preaches the gospel to them. So it's his ailment that brought him there and caused him to preach the gospel. And he he goes, you guys loved me so much that if it were possible, you would have taken out your eyes and given them to me. I know you would have, because you treated me as if I were Jesus. And that's how, as Christians, we're to treat each other. Treat each other as if each other were Jesus. Make sense? Um, Verse 16. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? So you once treated me as if I were Jesus, as, as if I were an angel sent from the Lord. Now you're treating me like an enemy. Why are you treating me like an enemy? Just because I'm telling you the truth? I'm supposed to tell you the truth. But it seems as though right now you are rejecting the truth. Verse 17. They make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out. They want to make you much, um, 
They want to make much of them. It is always good to be made much of for a good purpose. And not only when I am present with you, my little children, for whom am I against the anguish of childbirth? Christ is formed in you. I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. I'm super, Paul's saying, I'm super confused about what's going on right now, about the way that you were formerly and the way that you are now. Super confused, perplexed. Verse 21. Here's where we start talking about those two sons of Abraham. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born according to the promise. Now this may be interpreted allegorically. He's telling them how to interpret this whole thing. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Hagar represents the covenant at Mount Sinai where the law was delivered. The law was delivered at Mount Sinai. Got it? Now Hagar, uh, sorry. Now Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds with the present Jerusalem, for she is slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother, for it is written, Rejoice, O barren one, one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. What's going on here? This is kind of confusing. Now you brothers like Isaac are children of a promise, not just as at the time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the spirit, so also it is now. <coughs> but what does the scripture say? Always a good question. Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the uh, son of the free woman. So, brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. What does this all mean? Uh, he got he and Hagar got cast out into the desert. What? I don't think we, I, don't, I don't I don't recall but I don't think we see him again so they're cast out into the desert and he's saying that's what I want you to do with your slavery and your law because you're no longer children who are slaves to the law you are now children who are heirs to a promise make sense so this indicates there are two ways to have a relationship with God two ways one is as a slave child. Two is as a free child. And which one are we going to choose? The other one. <laughs> the other one. Well, let me explain, okay? If you relate to God as a slave child, this is how you do it. You live according to the old pattern, the way you used to be. You live according to spiritual shortcuts, and you live according to quick fixes. Make sense? Yep. All right. 
you're trying, if you're a slave child, to accomplish things in the flesh because as a slave child, you deep, deep down believe that you don't actually belong to God. You aren't actually going to receive anything good to him. You're just there to be a slave, and that's as much as you will amount to in life, a slave. So you interpret your relationship with God as if you are a slave and God is a slave master and you're just trying to please him and make him happy and do all these things to get on his good side because you think he's always angry at you and he's always going to punish you and you know you're trying to like win his favor does that make sense um and any kind of weakness that you might have in your own life, any kind of brokenness that you might have in your own life, you're actually not embracing that because then you couldn't earn God's favor well enough. You're actually fighting it. You're fighting your weakness and you're fighting your brokenness. Does that make sense? Did you really say that? Yes. Which part? Everything you just said. Not every everything. Yeah. Like when you said the weakness part. Okay. Um, when you're relating to God as a slave child, you have brokenness and you have weakness, but you're trying to deny it and escape from it. You're actually fighting your weakness and your brokenness because if you possess any weakness or brokenness, you can't earn God's favor well enough. So you disregard, you deny, and you cover up any weakness or brokenness. Because that would make you less pleasant in the eyes of the Lord. Does that make sense? So you're fighting your weakness and your brokenness instead of embracing it. Now here's what it looks like when you fight your weakness and your brokenness. Number one, pride. Anybody here have any of that? Yeah. Pride. Pride is like trying... Pride knows deep down that you have something wrong or inadequate or broken or weak. And it tries to cover up and compensate for that weakness. Make sense? So um, for guys, if they're trying to cover up and com compensate, it, look, it might look like a huge pickup with monster tires, right? They're trying to compensate for something. They're trying to convince you that they're not weak. They're actually strong. And don't you mess with me. It might look like a guy who's like always trying to pick fights with people to prove that they're strong or they're right or they're like, you know, more powerful. than. And they're usually picking on people who are weaker than them, who that they know that they can defeat, right? <laughs> Or for girls, it might look like wearing too much makeup. <laughs> right? Uh, not uh, you're not pleased with your own face, so you wear too much makeup. And now here's the thing. You might fool yourself. You might think that you're fooling people, but everybody knows that you're wearing too much makeup. Right? They can see it caked on your face. And it doesn't make you prettier or more beautiful. It makes you less pretty and less beautiful when you're trying to compensate and cover all this stuff up with some extra cover-up makeup that you don't even need. And everybody looks at you and they're like, wow, what's that girl like trying to cover up? What's she trying to hide? And we can live like that when it's not like 
big trucks or makeup in our lives or we like trying to cover up and put on a mask and live some certain way and make people happy and do all these things to compensate for our own brokenness and inadequacy. Pride. All right. Number two, if we're living like a slave child, we will play the victim. And if you are playing the victim, the way you come across is the innocent blamer. I always claim innocence because there's always someone to blame. I am the victim of my circumstances. I am the victim of this happening to me. If anything goes wrong in my life, I have a built-in excuse because I am the victim and they are at fault. And anytime you play the victim, you're always looking for somebody to be the quote-unquote persecutor. Right? You're pointing at a person or you're pointing at a circumstance or you're pointing at something that happened in your life or some character flaw or like inability. Like, I just can't. I'm just weak. I'm just blah, blah, blah. What you're really saying is I'm just a victim and I don't have to do anything with my life. Right? The innocent blamer. Somebody is always the persecutor in your life and you are always the victim, right? A slave is always a victim. I can't do anything with my life because my hands are bound by shackles. I'm a victim. Victim of the circumstances, man. A victim of the system. It's always getting me down, right? And you have a built-in excuse to not do anything good with your life. Or so you think, right? You're a victim. Number three is if you're living like a slave, if you have a slave-type relationship with God... You live in distraction, which means you disengage. You're always trying to fill your mind with distracting things so that you don't have to actually deal with and face reality. You might watch TV. You might play video games. You might hang out with friends 24-7 because you just can't handle being alone. You distract yourself. You're always going somewhere. You're always driving somewhere. You're always texting someone. You're always doing stuff to distract yourself from the fact that there's something wrong with you. You disengage from reality. Now imagine somebody who's displaying all three of these character traits. A proud victim who's disengaged from reality. Imagine a whole society like that. Imagine a church like that. How would they treat each other? Not kindly at all. They'd always be blaming each other. They'd always be tearing each other apart, not building each other up. They'd always be the victim and everybody else the persecutor. And they would never be serving or loving or doing anything good with their life or in their community or in their church because they're disengaged and distracted with other things because they're just too important for this. Right? Well, hopefully none of you have any of those characteristics in my life, in your life, because I know I don't. I'm uh, just kidding. Um, here's the thing though what God desires because everybody has those and you're trying to cover it up 
with this like pride and victimhood and disengagement. You're trying to point out others' flaws so that you take the attention off your own flaws. You're trying to do all this stuff. Instead of all these compensations where you're actually living by the flesh, what God desires for your life is transformation. He wants to, in fact, transform you from a slave child to a free child. A child of the promise. A child, from a child who's always trying to catch up and compensate and do all these things and to accomplish things by their own might. Like Abraham having a slave child with Hagar. Because he, think it, he thought it would gain him some type of advantage. But here's the thing. To remember, although Ishmael was born first, he was born of the flesh and not of the promise. Because of Abraham's impatient, impatience and need to take matters into his own hands, he had Ishmael first, but the promise didn't pass to Ishmael. See, in God's timing, God would work out a plan by which he would give Abraham a son despite the fact that Sarah is barren and can't bear children and Abraham's 99. Very next chapter, Genesis 17, he gives him Isaac. This is the son of the promise. Does it tell us at all how much time was like, like nothing I know? It, it doesn't. It doesn't say time, but it's one chapter, so it's got to be pretty close you know um so although abraham took matters into his own hands by having ishmael with hagar a son born according to the flesh a son of a slave girl who is from egypt even worse right there was no advantage gained by being impatient and doing things in the flesh. Because the promise didn't go to Ishmael and went to Isaac. So take uh, uh, doing things according to the flesh actually gained no progress in Abraham's life. And that's what Paul is saying to these Galatians. You're not going to gain any progress in your life or in your righteousness or in anything. You're not going to get any closer to God by relating to God like a slave child and doing things in the flesh and trying to gain things according to the might of your hand. You will not gain anything. You can't make heaven happen. You can't make eternity happen by your might. Only by God delivering on his promise will that ever happen. So it's not by strength or by might, but by my spirit, says the Lord. And if you're a son with the spirit, if you're a son who's relating to God as a child of the promise and not a slave child, you're going to relate to him totally differently. You're going to have a completely different relationship with God. By which you're not being proud. Instead of proud, you're being humble. Right? He transitions you. He transforms you into this new life from proud to humble. Because you're not trying to gain anything by what you can do. You're simply waiting on the Lord and said, well, if he promised, then he's going to deliver in his time. 
if you're a victim slave child, he's going to transition and transform you into somebody with creativity. Right? Because a victim looks at life and says, oh man, there is nothing I can do with this life. Everything's against me. The tides are against me. People are against me. Circumstances are against me. I'm a victim here. I'm the innocent blamer. That's what a slave child says. But a child of the promise says, in Jesus, I own everything. And nobody can take that away. So instead of looking at my circumstances and saying, oh man, woe is me, the victim. You become creative. And you look at your circumstances and you go, hmm, what can I do with this? How can I make something beautiful out of this? How can I take this torn and broken up piece of something that I've been handed and make it into something beautiful? Instead of saying, I can't, all of a sudden in the new life you're saying, I can. What can I do with this circumstance? What can I do with this past? What can I do with these parents? What can I do with this relationship? What can I do with this um, fill in the blank. What can I do? I'm no longer a victim. I've been transformed into somebody creative. And he also wants to tra transform you from a distracted, disengaged person to an engaged person. You're no longer looking at life saying, get me away from this. I'm going to distract myself. I'm going to constantly watch TV. I'm going to numb the pain. I'm going to use like sex, drugs, alcohol, and fill in the blank to numb myself so that I don't feel this anymore because I can't deal with this. As a humble, creative, engaged person, living as a child of the promise and not as a slave child, completely transformed and relating to God in a brand new way. I'm engaged and I can do something about this. I can make something out of this. There's power in my hands that I can do something. And I'm going to jump in the water and make a difference instead of constantly running around the side of the pool and never jumping in. Make sense? That's how we're transformed. And that's the difference between a slave child and a free child. A free child is signified by communion with God. I don't disengage from God because I think I'm a bad slave child and he's going to punish me and crack the whip. I engage with God in communion and in relationship because he loved me at my darkest. And because he loves you as you are and not as you should be.
I will engage with my father and I will have communion with my father because I know that at my most broken and at my weakest, he still loves and accepts me and puts his arms around me. I embrace my brokenness and my weakness. I embrace my brokenness and my weakness because I'm a free child. I'm not a slave child who has to cover up my brokenness and my weakness with too much makeup. I'm no longer that slave child. I come just as I am before God because he loves me just as I am and not as I should be. I'm a child of the promise. So what happens when this... Now check this out. The Galatians are living like a, chi- a slave child and not like a free child. And this relationship with God, like a slave child, I have to earn God's favor and cover up my face and not show him the real me and all this stuff, means that when they have this type of relationship vertically with God... They're going to have that type of relationship horizontally with people. Does that make sense? That's how they're treating Paul. When they first encountered Paul, when he first came there and was having problems with his sight, when he was having physical ailments, they treated him like an angel. They treated him like Jesus himself. They would have taken out their own eyes and given them to Paul at that point in time. But they fell into these old patterns. They saw that they were a free child, but when the tornado hit, they fell back into their old pattern and started relating to God as if they were a slave child and they had to earn stuff. And then they started treating Paul like an enemy instead of like Jesus. Make sense? Broken relationship with God means broken relationship with people. So when Paul preaches the truth to their very face, they reject Paul like he's an enemy. So what do we do? What do we do with all this stuff? What do we do when life's spinning out of control and we're in the tornado and we don't know what's up or what's down or what's in front of us or behind us and we don't know how to get out of the tornado? Ask God help. Apply to our lives. First, we name the problem. We name the problem. And so many times we don't like to name the problem. We'll complain about the problem. We will grumble about the problem. We will argue with the problem. But we will not name the problem. We won't say precisely how it is that you've hurt me. How you've damaged me or something like that. 
Because if I say it, then I've just revealed my weakness or brokenness and the fact that I can be hurt. So we won't name the problem. And if we're living like a slave child, we will never ever name the problem because we're never ever okay with being weak or broken. But if we live by faith like a child of the promise, like heaven is already ours, eternity is already ours, righteousness in Jesus is already ours, if we're living like that, we will be able to name the problem because we embrace our brokenness and our weakness. And after we name the problem, we don't stay there. We name the plan. Name the problem for all that it's worth. Get it out there on the table. We say what's wrong. But we don't just say what's wrong to grumble and complain like the Jews wandering around the desert. who are, Although they're free and out of Egypt, they've come up out of Egypt, they're still living like slave children. Grumbling, complaining. But you name the problem, then you name the plan. You strategize. You say, how can I get out of this. This is a tornado that I'm out of control of. It's spinning and my life is going in a million directions. This is my pain. This is my problem. This is my hurt. And I'm okay with naming it because I'm a child of the promise. And then you name the plan. That's how we get out of here. Because you've been transformed from a victim to a creator. You don't stay a slave. You don't stay a victim. You're now a humble, engaged creator who gradually, step-by-step, works your way out of the tornado. Your relationship with God working well, your relationship with people working well. So here's what I suggest for us as we stop living like slave children and we start living like free children. We create a culture of trust because we're creators, right? And because we're believers, right? And because we trust God. And you say, yeah, but that person is untrustworthy. Yeah, but God is trustworthy. And because you trust him so much, you can trust that person. And we can trust each other. We can stop being like they were, the Galatians were treating Paul like you're an enemy for speaking the truth to me. We can actually listen to the truth because we trust. And we can actually speak the truth and not have to like tell little white lies to go around the truth, you know? Like try to soften the blow so that you don't have to face reality. <laughs> Create a culture of trust where we have positive relationships with each other because we trust Jesus. And we have a proper relationship with him. So it creates this culture where trust is had, where we trust each other and build one another up and all this stuff. Because we don't want to say this. When Jesus said on the cross, it is finished. We don't want to keep living like a slave child. And a slave child says this to Jesus, it is finished. No, it's not. Do we want to say, no, it's not finished? Yeah. No. I wouldn't want to tell Jesus that. What you did on the cross, it was good. 
but it was not enough. Who wants to say that? What I'm saying is it, it was enough. Got it? So we don't want to say that it was not enough. We want to agree with Jesus when he says it is finished. And we want to live like it is finished. Case closed. Sins forgiven. Amen. And we want to say this. Jesus is enough. There's nothing I can add on top of Jesus to make myself more righteous. There's nothing I could do to make him love me more. He already loves me more than I could possibly imagine. Just as I am. Flaws and all. Brokenness and all. Weakness and all. I don't have to put on some kind of show. So if we're living like a child of the promise as opposed to a slave child, we are going to deal with God on God's terms. Instead of having God deal with me on my terms. I'm going to deal with God on God's terms. When he promises, I'm just sticking with that promise. Because he's been faithful faithful before, he'll be faithful again. I'm not going to live by the flesh and take matters into my own hands. I'm not going to compensate. I'm not going to be proud. I'm not going to be a victim. I'm not going to be distracted. I'm going to be this humble, engaged creator who's creating something out of my life. And not just doing it in my own works or in my own flesh, but I'm co-creating with God. He's already doing it. I'm just jumping on the bandwagon. I'm going to co-create whatever God wants in my life. And I'm going to deal with God on God's terms. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for the fact that you transformed us from slaves into children of the promise. God, let us make that a reality in our lives. Let us stop living like slave children. Let us stop relating to you as slave children. God, we just want to settle in. Stop swirling with the tornado. I want to name the problem. Name the plan. Just rest in you and look at life and co-create life with you. We want your will done in our lives and on this earth. In Jesus' name, amen.